Well, amen. So good to have you with us this morning. My name is John, and um, I said this at 9, um, but the same thing is true here at 11. Um, coming out after that, um, I feel like I could just go through a brick wall right now. Um, and I just want you to know how extremely thankful I am for um, this team that leads us each and every Sunday, that direct us and focus our attention on the cross, that remind us of the goodness of God, um, their, their, just their, their talent, their ability, but also their humility. And I think about these volunteers that, um, that work everyday jobs and come up here and lead us and have such incredible ability. They could be touring musicians. They're, they're, they're that good, um, but you would never see that they're trying to draw us to themselves, but only trying to point our attention um, to Jesus. That's something I'm extremely thankful for um, this morning. You want to know what else I'm, I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for those volunteers that serve over on our kids' ministry. We have some incredible, incredible volunteers that serve in kids. And you know what? I have kind of some uh, personal interest in that because I have two little girls um, that go to Connection Kids, and um, they get so excited each and every week to be able to come here and to, um, to get poured into. One of the things that they love so much or their teachers, right? They love their teachers and because their teachers love them. And it's volunteers that have said, you know what, John? I'm gonna support you and your family by helping pour the gospel into your kids. And man, what incredible thing for another person to offer me, right? It's to offer me my children learning about Jesus because of what they are doing for them. Man, what, what an incredible thing. I think about our, our volunteers that come every single Sunday night to serve our students, our 6th through 12th graders here, right? And they, their desire to get them to own their faith, to be able to take their faith into their own hands so that they have a firm foundation whenever they graduate high school. And their willingness to come week in and week out and hang out with teenagers, right, of all people. But they love them and they're passionate about it. I think about our college people that serve alongside our college students, our college leadership team, and our staff that serve alongside of them. In fact, this past Wednesday, 14 college students surrendered their lives to Jesus. It's nuts. It's crazy. How awesome is it that we have people that are pouring into our college students? I think about all those volunteers out in the atrium, right? Our guest services volunteers. Don't, if you serve in that area, never sell yourself short. Because here's the thing, when somebody comes to a church for the first time, you know what they remember? They remember those interactions out there. They don't remember what was preached. They don't remember the songs that were sung. They remember, did people love me when I walked up here? Did they welcome me? Did they feel like that this was a place that I could belong? And that's what you offer. That's what you create in those environments. I think about our prayer team, right? Our individuals that literally intercede on our behalf that they go to the Lord on our behalf, even when we don't know that they are doing it, that we have a group of people that are dedicated to that, that are passionate about that. You know what all these people are? They're partners in the gospel. These are the people that are partnering with us in the gospel, and I'm so thankful for them. Today is the last week of this series, Partners in the Gospel. We've been going through the book of Philippians as a church, and this is um, the last week of this series. And I, I kind of knew that I was going to be um, preaching on this particular message, and um, I, I was familiar with this passage of Scripture. And so pretty quickly, I knew what I wanted this message to be about. I felt like the Lord kind of gave that to me pretty quickly. So I want to go ahead and dive in um, to this. And so we are going to be, again, the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 4. 
We are finishing out this book. We're picking up where Austin left off um, last week. We are in verse 10. That's where we're going to be starting. We're going to take that all the way to um, the end of this chapter. So Philippians chapter 4. This is what it says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength." Now, who in here, this passage of Scripture, it's, it's pretty familiar to you. Maybe you've, you've read it before, you've heard it before, right? Especially that, that last verse right there, verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's a pretty popular Scripture. You see it on the back of shirts, right? You see it on the eye black on, on football players, right? You see it kind of all over the place. What if I told you this? What if I told you that that verse, right, that, that section, that's not the main theme of this section of Scripture, This most popular verse that we see, that's not the main theme of this section. Here's what happened to me this week. I was so familiar with that scripture, with the scripture about being content, that I kind of lost the context of what Paul was really talking about here because I was so familiar with it. I kind of assumed what was being communicated here. And that's what happens when we become familiar with things. How many of you in here, um, maybe you're familiar with another person. Maybe they, they kind of run in the same circles as you. They, you. they have a lot of the same friends as you do. But you don't really know that person. You're just kind of familiar with them. You know who they are. And maybe you've heard a couple things about them. You've you kind of created a little bit of an um, identity of who they were. And then who's had that situation where you did that and then you finally met that person? You're like, wow, they're actually a lot different than what I thought that they were, right? You had just been familiar with them until you got to know them, right? Maybe some of you, you um, realized like you kind of thought somebody was like kind of a jerk and then you got to know them. You're like, hey, they're actually not so bad. Or the, the, the other way, like you thought they were a jerk and then you got to know them. Oh, I already said that. that. That you thought that they were not so bad and then you got to know them and they were a jerk, right? Either one could be a possibility. I worry that I'm one of those two and I don't know which one I am, um, but um, hopefully, um, that, hopefully it's the, the right one, whichever one that is. Um, but like, that's what we can do. So we can get so familiar that we don't really understand what's really going on here. And what happens is we do that with scripture We do that with God. We even do that just in our own faith. We can become so familiar with it that we don't actually understand what's really going on. This happens to a lot of followers of Jesus, people who have have placed their their faith and trust in Jesus. And then you ask them the question, you say, hey, can you just tell me the gospel? Can you explain the gospel to me? And followers of Jesus go, oh, well, I mean... I don't really really know how to put it into words. And I'm like, you're banking your eternity on this, right? And we can't explain it. Why? We've gotten familiar with it, right? We're around it so often that when we actually have to look at what actually it is, we struggle to be able to communicate that. And I believe that's what is happening here. What I realized is my assumption of what was being communicated here, my familiarity was not really what was going on. And I had to kind of rethink this message, And what I want us to do is I want us to go back and I want us to give a little context behind what Paul is talking about here and what really is the main theme that's being talked about. So we're going to bounce back again to verse 10. And actually right before verse 10, maybe in your Bible it says this, there's there's a heading for this section. And it says this, 
Thanks for their gifts. The title of this section is Thanks for Their Gifts. This whole section is actually about giving and how the Philippians are partners in the gospel through their generosity. This is the main theme. Verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you have had no opportunity to show it. Here's what Paul's saying here is in the past, the, this church in Philippi, they had supported Paul in the past. Financially, they had given to his efforts. But for whatever reason, they weren't able to have done that recently. It could have been because Paul's journey kind of got messed up a little bit. It could be they didn't have messengers to get to him. Maybe they didn't have the means to be able to support him. I don't know what the reason was, but they didn't have the opportunity to be able to do that. But then they were able to support him. They were able to give financially to him again. And he's rejoicing in this. He's saying, hey, I'm so thankful that you are able to do this again. Verses 11 and 12, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, whether living in plenty, or in want. <clears throat> The start of verse 11 here is the first not that Paul says. There's two different times that Paul uses the phrase or uses the word not, N-O-T. And this is what he says. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need. Paul's trying to be very, very careful here. He's trying to make sure that as he talks about generosity, he talks about giving, that they don't look at it from the wrong mindset. Paul's trying to communicate that he's appreciative of their gift, but he's not dependent on their gift. He doesn't need them to give. The gospel is going to go forward regardless of whether they give or not. What he's trying to do is he's trying to expand this by, or he's trying to do this by expanding what Christian contentment looks like. So the way Paul is trying to get them to understand it's not about giving or having or not having. He's, he's doing this through the idea of contentment. So there is a little bit of a message in between the message here. Paul does kind of stop and address contentment. But I want you to understand here, when he says content, he is specifically talking about his financial situation. Paul stresses that his contentment didn't increase or decrease because of his material possessions, right? More stuff didn't mean more satisfaction, right? That's what Paul's trying to communicate here. But contentment isn't learned either through a single crisis in his life, but through exposure of times of need and times of plenty. You need to understand that Paul, when he's writing these words, when he's talking about being content, he's in prison right now, right? He probably knows right this second what it means to be in need. But Paul had also spent time, he had a lot of wealthy friends. He had probably been to their house before. They probably feasted really, really well. And he probably knew what it was like to have plenty. He had experienced both of those things. But what Paul ultimately had done is he learned to be content because he learned to trust. How was he able to do this? He was able to do this because he had seen God be faithful time in and time out in his life. God had been so faithful to Paul throughout his life that he knew he would be faithful to him in the future. Here's the thing about contentment. Money is, is only one way that we can lose our contentment with something, right? And so contentment affects every area of our life. It can affect how we view our, our physical appearance, right? How we view our jobs or our cars or our spouses, or just sometimes even like just our overall view of our life. We can become or we can lose contentment. 
But here's the thing. Contentment is only possible outside of our desire to compare. Contentment is only possible outside of our desire to compare ourselves to someone else. And how often do we struggle with doing that? How often do you struggle with comparing yourself to someone else, to comparing your car to someone else's, right? To your, your house to someone else's, hopefully not your spouse to someone else's, right? But how often do we do that? We struggle with that. My wife, this um, weekend, she ran a 5K down in Savannah, and it was just something she wanted to challenge herself with. She did it all on her own to be able to go and do that. And so she goes and runs this race, and she finishes it, and she was kind of reflecting on this race, and she shared a post on social media, and she was just talking about how she, um, she didn't necessarily win the race, but she, she's like, I, um, I ran the entire way, and I, I, I feel like I, I did a good job, and she was excited about what she was able to accomplish, and she said this, and I thought it was so, so well written and so smart. Um, she's a lot smarter than me, um, and so, um, yeah, she's great, but she said this. She says, comparing ourselves to others' goals and accomplishments will always rob us of our own accomplishments. Comparing ourselves to someone else's goals and someone else's accomplishments will always rob us of our own accomplishments. You know what it's robbing us of when we do this? Our contentment. When we compare ourselves to others, we are robbing ourselves of what it means to be content. Now, look, I realize that's easy to say and hard to do, right? Let's just, just be content with what you have, right? That's an easy thing to say. It's a hard thing to do. So how do we do it? How is it even possible to find contentment when there's so many things to compare ourselves to? Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is how we are able to do it. We do it in Christ. Some of Translations say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But still, that's not a, a perfect representation of what Paul's saying here. I feel like a better way to translate this would say, I can do all of these things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. What Paul is talking about here, the context is important. Paul's talking about contentment. He's saying, I'm able to be content through Jesus and everything with contentment I can do in Christ. He's not saying I can dunk a basketball in Christ, right? I can do everything. No, 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 no. He's not, he's not saying that. He's talking about contentment here. It's important for us to look at this. What Paul's saying, he's saying that Christian contentment is rooted in our relationship with Christ. When Paul said the words that he learned the secret to contentment, what he learned is it was being in Christ. The secret is Jesus. Understanding what it means to be in Christ changes everything for us. And when we lean into this and we find contentment, this leads to us being adaptable as Christians. As I was studying for this message, I was reading a commentary and the author said this. He says, contentment makes you adaptable because you are preoccupied with Jesus, not your circumstances. Contentment makes you adaptable and it's because you are preoccupied with Jesus and not your circumstances. 
I can become very preoccupied with things. I can become very focused on things, right? And I just, I end up having a very one-track mind. When I'm, when I'm grilling and I'm, I'm focused on grilling, like nothing else is going on because I'm focused on grilling and I'm really excited about what I'm about to eat. I get probably more excited than I need to. I forget that anything else is going on. I forget I have a family. My daughter will come up and she'll kind of tap my arm and like, oh my gosh, who are you, right? I forget about it. I get very, very focused, very preoccupied. Many of you, you see me on a Sunday morning and if I'm walking through the atrium, chances are I'm focused in on doing something. I'm getting ready to go do something. I forget that there's people here. And so people will wave to me, they'll say hey to me, and I'm just zero in focused, right? I get so preoccupied with what I need to do. That's probably, those are bad examples of being preoccupied, but that type of focus, think if we had that type of focus on Jesus. All these other things begin to fade away. All our issues with our circumstances or comparing ourselves to others, it doesn't matter because we are too preoccupied with Jesus. This is how missionaries can sell everything and move to a foreign country. It's because they're preoccupied with Jesus. They're like, you know what? I'm not worried about my situations. I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, where I'm going to live. I'm focused on the mission of Jesus. They get so zero in focus. That's how they were able to do something like this. Verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. What were they sharing in? Their part of sharing in Paul's troubles was financial. All right, their part was financial. They, what Paul's trying to get them to understand is any struggle I have, you're a part of that because you're giving to this, right? Your giving is associated with the mission of God. Of God. Their part was financial. To be a partner in the gospel means to sacrifice financially for the mission of Jesus. To be a partner in the gospel means to sacrifice financially for the mission of Jesus. And this is not really a suggestion, but this is the biblical reality of being a Christian. If you're at a church and you're getting poured into by that church, you're growing in your relationship, you're maturing in your faith, then I would say that you have the privilege and the responsibility to support that church. They're investing in you and you get the opportunity to invest in them. This made complete sense to the Philippians. They understood this. They recognized what they were getting and they delighted in it. What they were gaining, the growth that they were gaining by Paul's instruction, man, it was so clear to them and they loved it. The, the vision, the mission of taking the gospel to the ends and the fact that they got to be a part of that through their giving, man, they were so excited about that and they were willing to do that by any means necessary. But listen, this was not common. Verses 15 in 16, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's stop right there. So what we see there is that the generosity of the Philippian church, it was unique and it was unmatched. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 1. Again, this is Paul speaking, but now Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth. And he's talking about generosity, but I think it's important for us to, to look at this. He says this, starting in verse 1. 
of chapter 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they did not do as expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So they urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace in your part. But just as to excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. When Paul's talking about these Macedonian churches, Philippians, Philippi, that's one of these churches he's talking about. Philippi was not a wealthy place. They did not have a lot, but they gave out of their poverty. What Paul is trying to instruct the Corinthians here is this is, this is kind of what Paul is trying to tell them right now. He's kind of telling the church in Corinth, shame on you that you can't give out of your abundance when this church is giving out of their poverty. The church in Corinth, they would have been a more wealthy church. And Paul's looking at them and he's, he's comparing them to the eagerness of the church in Philippi and saying, hey, they're giving out of nothing. How much more should you be able to give? I want us to be like the church in Philippi. I want us and I want our generosity to be unique and to be unmatched. I want our generosity to this community to be unique and to be unmatched. Now let's get to verse 17. <clears throat> Not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Here's the second knot that we see Paul is saying. He's clarifying, look, I'm not saying that I'm begging for your money here. His message is not to get something from them, but because he wants something for them. For them. Paul, he's being extremely careful here on how he's presenting this because money was a sensitive issue back then in the same way that it is now. Connection, I want you to hear this. This message today is not because we are begging you for money, okay? It is because we want something for you. We are looking at what can be credited to your accounts. What is that? It's giving to the kingdom, giving to eternal things that will never wither away. I want you to see that that's a worthwhile investment. It makes sense to invest in things that will last eternally. Continuing in verse 18, talking about their giving, that they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
Now, if you're new to church or even if you've been in church for a little while, that's it's kind of some weird language, fragrant offering, sacrifice. It's just kind of an unusual thing to say, but you need a little context for that. And I wish I could have some, some more time to talk about this, but we have to have some context to the Old Testament because this is kind of where this is being pulled from a little bit. See, when, when mankind was first created, we know that we were separated from God through our sin. Our sin separates us and destroys that right relationship between us and God. Sin comes into the world and it separates us. And we see through the book of Leviticus that God began to give a way for us to be made right into the eyes of God. There had to be some type of sacrifice, some type of payment for our sin, the penalty of sin. In the same way that if we commit a crime and we go to jail and somebody has to put up bail for us, right? They're making payment. They're offering a sacrifice in order to get us out, right? Something is having to be paid on our behalf. And so we see this idea of sacrifices where oftentimes a perfect lamb and it had to be free of defect was sacrificed to the Lord. There was many different types of offerings. That was one of them. And often when this burnt sacrifice was made, it says that that aroma was pleasing to the Lord. What, what basically that's saying is that this was acceptable to the Lord. The Lord was saying this, is, this will suffice as your payment. But it was, it was never quite a full enough payment. In the same way that when you make bail, from being in jail, like it doesn't fix the situation. There's still something that needs to happen. And, and God realized this. It's that there was never a sacrifice that was quite big enough, that was fight, quite worthy enough to make us right in the eyes of the Lord. And so God, in his infinite love, said the only person that can actually take on that punishment, that can take and, and the, the, give the actual price for this punishment and for this penalty is me. I'm the only one worthy enough, and he did that through Jesus, right? The Lamb of God, perfect without any defect. And he did this once and for all. So now we don't have to continue to make sacrifices to the Lord through burnt offerings, but we still do get to make sacrifices to the Lord in other ways. In Ephesians, we see how Jesus is this sacrifice for us. You don't have to turn there, but it says this in chapter 5. It says, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus was that perfect, fragrant offering, that sacrifice to God. So now we no longer have to atone for our sins to try to pay the penalty of our sin. We now get to worship God through thanksgiving. And this is the way that we can sacrifice and offer things to the Lord. The book of Hebrews says this. It says, through Jesus, through Jesus, again, in Christ, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess his name, and do not forget to do good and share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Our praise, our worship again, is pleasing to the Lord. It's a sacrifice to the Lord. Our giving is an act of worship. It's a way for us to worship the Father, to be thankful for what the Father has done for us. And when we do it, it pleases the Lord, not for the atonement of sin, not to make us right in the eyes of God. Jesus did that. We're doing this because of what Jesus did for us. Let's continue. 
verse 19. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Paul yet again reminds us that we can trust God in our giving. He will provide for our every need. This doesn't mean that we make foolish decisions and just hope that God will bail us out, but it means that God will provide for us every one of our needs. And we see this message throughout all of Scripture that God will provide for us. But here's the thing. One of the reasons that we don't give is because we don't ultimately trust God's word. We're worried that maybe we won't be provided for. But see, Paul understood that God was going to meet his needs. It wasn't always pretty. Paul was in prison, right? So again, I want you to understand that this is not some type of prosperity, name it and claim it type theology or type gospel, right? But it's saying that God will provide for us. If you want to be happy in your life, you want to find joy in your life, we give. That's what scripture says it'll come from. If we want to see God's provision in our life, you know what we do? We give. It says that it is better to give than to receive. There's truth in that, but do we trust that? We get to verse 20 and it says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is kind of referred to as a, as a doxology, doxology. And that's just kind of a church word for just an expression of praise to God. And I love that Paul pauses here for a moment. And I believe it was very strategic because what Paul's doing is he's just pausing to praise God, just to worship him. That's kind of what we did even in the middle of our worship service or set a little bit ago. We kind of paused and said, let's just give God some glory. Let's give some space for us to be able to recognize what God has done for us. And I believe what this allowed is it created this perfect balance between thanksgiving towards what the Philippians were doing for Paul by giving financially, but also a reminder that their giving wasn't about them, it was about God. And Paul's trying to, again, be very, very careful that God is the one that gets glorified, not the Philippians. Not that he's not appreciative of them. He's extremely appreciative, rejoicing in the Lord, but it's all coming back to the fact that he's praising God because of this. The final three verses of Philippians, the title says final greetings. And don't read over, don't just skip over this section. It's very important. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send greetings. All of the saints send your greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The gospel is even infiltrating the government at this point. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Why is this important? Because it is so important for us to greet one another. Recently, as a church, um, we've started kind of creating that opportunity um, in our service. We didn't do it today, but um, the past month or so, we've kind of had that short little time right before the message where we can just greet one another. We can talk to one another. And why, why are we doing that? It's as Austin talked about last week, it's our opportunity to pass the peace to one another. It's our opportunity to extend love to one another, to greet somebody with a smile, Right? We have a meeting every Tuesday where we kind of reflect on the services. And one of the things that we've talked about about that, that simple 30 seconds is what it does is it changes the entire atmosphere of this room. Energy increases, excitement increases, joy increases. Why? We're greeting one another. Think about it this way. Think about all week long, we've been sent out and we're trying to love people. We're trying to share the gospel with people. And we get to come back together and say, hey, here's what the Lord's been doing in my life. 
And that's an exciting thing for us to be able to do. That's the reason it creates excitement, because it should be a joy for us to see one another. Because we're partners in the gospel. We're together in this. That is what we are doing when we greet the saints in Christ Jesus. Don't underestimate the power of that. So we come to the end of the book of Philippians. We come to the end of this section of Philippians. So what's our application today? What do we do with this message? And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. If you aren't taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Put this at the top of your paper, the top of your, the notes on your phone. I want you to write this question. Are you a partner in the gospel? Or maybe, am I a partner in the gospel? And I want you to think about that. I want you to pray about that. Are you giving to the mission of God? It's a part of being a partner in the gospel. Are you in community with other believers where you get the opportunity to pour into them and they get the opportunity to pour into you and challenge one another in your faith? That's, that's a part of being a partner in the gospel. Are you serving your local church? Are you serving this community? Are you serving the people you come in contact? It's, it's, a, it's a part of being a partner in the gospel. Are you sharing the gospel with people? Can you share the gospel with people? Are you taking the great commandment seriously? Because it's, it's, it's a part of being a partner in the gospel. And I get that right now I'm kind of pressing a little bit on us. And I don't want you to think that I'm doing this as though I have this figured out. I try to be very transparent with you anytime that I speak that I don't have this figured out, that I struggle with a lot of these things. But I want you to view those things are not a checklist. It's not a, yep, I do that, I do that, I do that. It's not a checklist. Those are things we grow in. Some of those things, maybe you need to begin. Maybe you do need to start some of those things. If you're already doing some of those things, maybe you need to be stretched in some of those things. Maybe you need to grow in some of those things. But I want to push just a little bit harder on this morning. And I really, I do pray that this is received in the right way. And first of all, if you're new to Connection, you're new to this church, you've only been here for a couple months, I'm so, so glad that you are here. And I really hope that this is a place that you could call home. I hope this is a place that you could say, yeah, I want to lock arm in arm with those people and accomplish the mission of God together. And I want you to take this time and I want you to pray and ask God, God, is this where you want me? You really use this time, right? Use this time that you're just kind of checking us out. That's all that we want from you right now. I'm so glad you're here. But if you've been coming here for a little while, so let's just say you've been coming here about three months, three months and longer. If that's you, that this, I'm, then I'm talking to you. If that's true, I'm going to imagine that there's two things that are true of you. The first is that if you've been here that long, chances are you're growing in your faith you're recognizing that there's some type of value to being here. You're recognizing that God is maturing you, God's growing you here, and you're enjoying that. You're wanting to be a part of that. The second thing is that you believe in the mission that's being accomplished here. You believe that what we're doing is making an impact in the, in the kingdom. Just like the Philippians believed in what Paul was accomplishing through these missionary journeys, you believe it in the same way. And I would say this is that if those two things are true, 
And I, and I would hope that they're true. If they're not true, I don't, I don't really know why you're here. But if those are true, then I would say it's time to get some skin in the game. And I would challenge you to say, right now, are you more of a consumer of this church or are you a co-laborer of this church? We have a lot of people here and there's a lot of you that need to jump in, that you need to be used by God. Why? Because there are kids over on that side of the building that need to hear the gospel. And there are people in this room that you need to be used to do that. The mission is important. There are 14 college students that need to grow in their faith, that they need people that are further along in their faith to come alongside them and help equip them in their faith. And many of you might need to step into that role. And if you're saying, well, I don't, what, what do I have to offer? Right? I don't feel like I, I know that much. Uh, if you didn't get saved last Wednesday sometime before that, then, sh- then you are further along in your faith than they are. And you know what you could do? You could say, hey, I don't hold, know a whole lot, but we could sit down, we could open this up, and maybe we'll stumble across some good stuff together, right? Maybe that's what we could do. There's ministries that need to be supported in this church, in this community. There's equipping that needs to take place. There are church plants that need to be planted. And all of these things are things that we get to be a part of. Here's what we're saying when we say this. We're saying we want you. We want you on our team, right? We want you on the field. We want you in the club. We want you to wear the uniform. We want you to be a part. Here's the thing. If anything that I'm saying right now feels off-putting, then you are the person that's probably in the wrong place right now. Because if you were a part of a place that you loved being a part of, and that place was inviting you to come be a part of it, that would sound exciting, not attacking. Think about this. I'm not a big uh, football uh, fan. Um, I'll I'll watch it every now and then. But if I was at a football game, and let's say Tom Brady was playing, he's back again, right? And he, they, were, they were warming up. And Tom Brady looks at me and says, hey, John, will you help me warm up and throw, throw the ball with me? Chances are I'd probably take him up on that, right? That would be a, kind of a cool story to tell. Like, hey, I got to throw the ball with, with, with Tom Brady. But think about if Tom Brady was your favorite football player, right? You grew up playing football, right? You loved going to games. You saw it just it brought you joy. It was just exciting. You felt like football is the way of life. And you're at a football game one time and they're getting they're, they're warming up and Tom Brady looks up at you and says, hey man, come on down, throw the ball. In fact, you know what? Lead the charge out of the, of the gate. Man, you would be pumped up. You'd be like, let's go. Let's go. This is exciting. He wants me to be a part of this. That's what Paul is encouraging the Philippians to. That's what we are encouraging you to. I'm not saying we're the Tom Brady of churches, right? Don't get lost in the the metaphor. It's just a metaphor. All I'm saying is if you are a part of a place that you enjoy going to and they're saying, hey, we want you to come be a part, that's exciting because we see value in you. We see purpose in you and we want you to be a part. That should fill us up. That should make you feel validated. That should make you feel like, man, what could I do? How could I be a part? Man, that would be so exciting. But here's the reality. We are going to continue with this mission 
regardless of whether you jump in or not. The mission is going to go forward because God is going to provide. When you give here, I want you to understand something. One of the things that you're going to give to is helping 14 college students get connected to the Lord, get connected to one another, to be equipped in their faith, to mature in their faith, and ultimately to be sent off throughout this entire world as missionaries, because that's what they are. Every college student that steps on this campus, that comes to know Jesus while they're in school here, when they leave here, they take the gospel with them. And when you invest in this, you are investing in that. So now your investment is not only affecting this community or this body of believers, it's literally affecting the entire world. How exciting is that? But you know what? If you don't give, we're still gonna equip college students. If I told JC tomorrow, look, man, you, you have zero budget. You don't have anything. Your team doesn't have any money. He's going to say, all right, I'll just take this. And I'm going to go and I'm going to share Jesus with people. I'm going to try to connect them to the Lord. I'm going to try to equip them the best that I can. And ultimately, I'm going to send them back out again. And the Lord will continue to provide for me. It's going to happen either way. But I want you to understand this. You're giving to eternal things that will have ripple effects. And I believe that that is an incredible way that we can be a partner in the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. We are thankful for the fact that when we are in Christ, that we can find contentment. It's possible because we recognize what you've done for us and we recognize how you care for us and we recognize how you provide for us. And God, right now I pray that this body of believers right here, that God, that they are encouraged, that they recognize they have a part to play, they get to play. And I pray that it cites them. I pray they look for those opportunities where they can be stretched, where they can grow, if there's something that they aren't doing that they can step into it, but there's something they are doing that they can grow in it. God, I'm thankful for this book that was written 2,000 years ago that still encourages us today. And I'm thankful for this season that we've had over the past three months to study this and to be challenged by it. God, I'm, th I'm thankful for this body of believers about what you're doing. And I just pray that you continue to move because, God, we know this, that until every person knows the name of Jesus, we are not going to stop. And if all we have is a Bible, then, God, that's the only thing we need to teach somebody about the good news of Jesus. Father, we love you, and we praise you. We lift this up in your son's name. Amen.